You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. If you have your Bibles, we want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 1, uh, 26 through 38. Very familiar story. Story of Mary, chosen by God, and again, pairing it with uh, this evening's movie. Uh, and I titled this morning's message, The Gift of Yes. And I think the term yes is one of the beautiful words in the English language. Now, why do I say that? Think about our students sitting down front here. And you guys, let's see some eye contact. There we go. Because I'm going to boast on you. When students say yes to sitting down front in worship, how did the adults respond? Double thumbs up, right? How did the youth workers respond? Way to go. Thank you for saying yes to engaging God in worship. Some of you even take notes. I've never seen one student fall asleep yet while preaching. It's pretty good. Let's keep it that way. Deal? Yeah. Think about this, the power of yes. When a young man finds the love of their life and pops the question, and she says, yes, how does that guy feel? I remember the day, Buffalo Beach, Ellen and I met. She came from Buffalo, I came from Cincinnati, we went to the beach. I brought a cassette player. Do you guys know what a cassette player is? Now, for those of you who have a little bit of vintage, work with me here. I brought this cassette player, battery powered, we're sitting at the beach, and I had known for years Ellen was the one. Her story is a little bit different. You can talk to her about that. So I plug this cassette in. Do you remember the uh, Christian group Striper? Anybody know? Jim? Yeah? Okay. Google Striper and the song Honestly. So I hit play, and with all the guts I had in the world, I sung her a song. And then I asked her, will you marry me? And my heart's racing. She said yes. And then we had a big hoopla plan with all our family and friends at a Mexican restaurant. The power of yes. Think about last fall, the gift of yes. The owners, the members, people who call Westwind Church home, what happened? We Zoomed together and we asked you to pray about being generous so we could have our own permanent space for worship. How did you respond? Yes. My son Jacob, he works for a really wonderful family company in the Twin Cities, Mortison. They built a Viking stadium and a lot of big projects. He's always had a dream to live in Denver, Colorado. And uh, he applied internally within the company to relocate and work for Mortison in Denver. And you know how it is, right? When you're waiting for the call, the, the days, the hours seem like forever. And finally, the call comes from his manager, Jake, we'd like for you to come to Colorado. They said yes. He felt great. There's power in yes. 
We're going to look at the life of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And she said yes. It's a remarkable story, folks, because she said yes against all odds. Her yes was incredibly difficult and incredibly painful. Simeon said it would bring a sword to her soul all the days of her life. And so saying yes sometimes can be very difficult. And so if you have your Bibles and your Connect cards, I would encourage you to connect. And uh, what I did as I read this passage, again, a very familiar one, a few years ago I preached on this passage. I uh, purpose not to even look at those notes. I just wanted to start afresh. But as I engaged the passage, I saw Mary in a totally different light. I saw Mary engaging heaven, engaging the glory of God, but very perplexed. There's a constant theme in the New Testament about Mary. There's this wonderment. Mary pondered these things in her heart. She reflected it was puzzling to her and was like taking a thousand piece puzzle and piece by piece putting it together over the course of her life. I say that to say this, Mary had a lot more questions than she did answers and yet she said yes. And so what I decided to do was outline the talk real simple, three questions and see how those questions play out in Mary's yes. So question number one, why Mary? And folks, in pastoral ministry, we get this question all the time. Why is often asked in times of crisis, why are we going through this? You know, why, why me? Uh, often, in fact, uh, a few weeks ago in Leadership Pipeline, a question was asked, why this individual and not that individual? Well, the passage gives us uh, clarity on that. So if you have your Bibles, let me... Uh, read for you Luke 1, 26 through 30. It's also on the screen. In the sixth month, and that's of uh, Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, rejoice, key word here, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by the statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Twice in this passage, Luke uses this beautiful word, favor. Now, sometimes we might just look at this at a first glance. We think, oh, wow, Mary's something special before God. She's kind of a first-class Christian or citizen. And then they're second and third-class citizens. Folks, that's not the case here. The word favor is a beautiful word in the Greek language. Let me share it with you. It's the word charis. This is a word you want to learn. This is a word you want to put in your vocabulary. It's the word where we get charismatic, charismatic. Literally what it means is grace. It's God's grace in her life. And so here's the question, why Mary? Because God's calling involves a lifestyle of blessing. 
There's a grace gift to Mary. She is being called, she is being chosen by God to be a blessing to others. And so that's the theme of scripture. Let me take you back to Genesis chapter 12. And you'll see Genesis 12 continually come up in preaching. Why? It's one of the core passages of all the Bible. It's theoretically a John 3.16 of the Old Testament. This sets the trajectory, Genesis 12, for the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. So track with me. Thinking about grace. Thinking about blessing. The Lord said to Abram, Go out from your land, your relatives, your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. Talk about gift. Talk about grace. Talk about unmerited favor. Here is a pagan coming from Ur of Chaldees, and I'm going to make you into a great nation? That's grace. That's God's favor. That's his choosing. I will make your name great. Again, that's a gift. It's nothing that Abraham did in and of himself. And you will be what? A blessing. So God chooses, calls Abram. I'm going to make your name great. You're going to be a great nation. Why? You will be a blessing. You'll be a part of my grace giving to the nations. Track with me. I'll bless those who bless you. I curse those who treat you with contempt. And this, folks, is the gospel right here. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you or your seed pointing all the way to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And so the gospel is in eight in Genesis 12. And so when the angel Gabriel shows up, Mary, you're favored. All it's saying is, Mary, God's grace is being bestowed upon you like it was bestowed upon Abram, like it was bestowed upon Noah, Genesis 6, 8, and Noah found favor in the eyes of God, not because Noah was special, but because God is a giver. He's gracious, and he wants to bless people through us. And so... Notice the ultimate gift that comes in the passage. Luke 1, 31, Gabriel says, Mary, you will conceive and give birth to a son. And notice how detailed and how specific. And you will call his name Jesus. Now again, if you uh, grew up in the church, you grew up with a Bible, you grew up with Jesus, this is so common. But folks, this is profound. Basically, Jesus is the New Testament, the Greek for Yahshua, Joshua, which means Savior. And so basically what we're saying is, you're going to call his name Savior, Savior of the world. This is the blessing. Matthew 1.21 picks up on that. She will give birth to a son. You will name him Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. So when you think of Jesus, think of Savior being saved from your sins. Now, how does the biblical narrative respond to this beautiful declaration that God's gracious gift of choosing Mary to be a blessing? I want to highlight two things. Notice Elizabeth's response. The Bible says Elizabeth was a relative, 
and she was six months pregnant. Again, a miraculous pregnancy in her senior year. She's gonna be given birth to John the Baptist. Look at how Elizabeth responds to this great news. When Mary shows up and meets Elizabeth, she says this, how could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So when Elizabeth greets her relative Mary, what does she say? Mary, you are the mother of my Lord. She got it. She connected the dots, the grace gift, the blessing to all people, and Elizabeth is receiving that blessing. How about Mary? Look at Mary's response. This is called the Magnificat. It's one of the beautiful poems, songs in all of scripture. And part of the Magnificat says this, and Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices. Notice this next phrase, in God my Savior. Can I pause there just for a moment? Mary realized that she was given birth to the Messiah, the Savior of the world. But notice how personal she made it. She is rejoicing in God, her Savior. Even the mother of Jesus needed to claim personally Jesus Christ as her Savior and Lord. What a beautiful, beautiful declaration in the Magnificat. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And so there is a great, great model to live by from this first point. We are blessed, can you fill in the blank, to be a blessing. Let's say that together. We are blessed to be a blessing. And friends, the blessing starts with what God has done on your behalf. Mary realized that Jesus Christ was her savior. Elizabeth claimed Jesus Christ as her Lord. That is a very personal application. And so it begs the question this morning, have you received the greatest gift in life? The charis, the grace of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Have you embraced Jesus as your Lord and savior? And then the second thing, are you living as a blessing to others? Are you being a conduit of his grace that, so that all people might experience his love? We have a God story this morning. It kind of just showed up live. And so I want to uh, invite Brooke. Where are you? There you are, sister. Come on up. Brooke's going to share how God just uh, worked very powerfully. Blessed to be a blessing. Go ahead. Um, so Single Parent Provision hosted the Single Mother's Christmas Dinner last night. It served over 2,000 women and children. And typically my prayer is, Lord, fill me up with your spirit um, because I know I'm going to pour out that whole night. It's absolutely exhausting if you've ever done it before. Um, so I typically choose the baby room so I can hold babies. And so we had not only 0 to 12, but 1-year-olds as well. We had to combine and how we operate that room is you kind of get a baby and it's yours the whole night, right? So we don't have babies like being left somewhere. And I had the privilege of taking my children with me. So my nine-year-old daughter and 12-year-old son. And so my nine-year-old daughter was kind of waiting by the door. All the, all the um, helpers wait by the door and you kind of wait for the baby and like, oh, that was so cute, right? And so Delaney's like, mom, mom, there's 
oh, look at this little girl. She's so cute. Oh, can, we, can we get that one? And yeah. I said, oh, sure. And so I'm kind of looking, like, is she crying or is she calm? Like, please give me a calm one. And she was handed over to a helper by mom, and she was just silent, right? So I thought, oh, okay, yeah, that's ours, right? We'll get that one. So I take her, and she kind of had a rough night. Um, and I just got to love on her, hold her the whole entire time. Um, she missed mom, but it was kind of on and off, not screaming, just kind of sad. So we get lots of snuggles in. So um, here's the real God story. So her mom comes to pick her up. And I recognize, so I, gotta, I have, a, have to say where I work first. So I work at InterVisions Healthcare. It's an unplanned pregnancy clinic. And the mom shows up. She was a patient of ours. I'm going to cry probably a little over a year ago. And she was an abortion pill reversal patient. So she took the first abortion pill because she was pressured by her boyfriend to do so. And then she said, I don't want to do this. So she called us, and what our clinic does is we give them a progesterone, which, which helps preserve the pregnancy. This child that I held that whole night was the abortion pill reversal baby that yeah. I got a hold and snuggle. And I thought, God, he just always outdoes himself. This is not a coincidence. This is a total God story. And that whole night, I just thought, God, you are so good. You are just so, so good and gracious. And just the theme of this message is, we just said yes, right? We don't know what we're in for. It's kind of chaotic, right? But we just said yes. And then God says, here you go. Here you go. I want to bless you for saying yes. And it was just a a beautiful thing. So thank you for letting me share that. Amen, amen. What a privilege. We're blessed to be a blessing. And so as we've experienced God's blessing, his grace gift through Christ, then we in turn have the privilege to bless others. So why? God chose Mary to be a blessing, to be a conduit of his grace. Secondly, what? What specifically was God calling Mary to be first, then to do? And there's so much you could say here because we're just you know, touch it at the tip of the iceberg. Mary's story is beautiful. It starts in Luke 1 and it ends in Acts 1. We see her in the upper room in a prayer meeting. And that's the last vignette we have of her. But we have a lot of data on Mary. But what was was God calling Mary to be and to do? And so here's the answer. I believe at 50,000 feet, God was calling Mary to a lifestyle of surrender. And folks, what's true of Mary is absolutely true of you and me. So let's talk about a few things of surrender. Look at Luke uh, 1, 26 through 27. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin, look at the details, engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. Look at Luke 1, 31. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He'll be great. He'll be called the son of the most high God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over his house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. From those two passages, it's very clear that God called Mary primarily to surrender her plans. 
And friends, this is really hard, but this is pretty much the biblical narrative. You go back to Genesis 12. Here's this guy living off in a distant country, Ur the Chaldees. God says to him what? Leave your people. Leave your country. Leave everything you're comfortable with and go to a place that I will show you. Walk by faith. I'm not even going to give you the final destination. Go and I will lead you. God's calling Mary to relinquish her plans. Why do I say that? Well, the text pretty much makes it clear that God royally messed up Mary's plans. Think about it. As best we can discern, and you'll see in the movie tonight, The Chosen, Mary was a teenager, maybe 14, 15 years old. Please mark that down, especially students. We've talked about this in a few weeks before, that youth aren't the church of the future, they're the church now. God has used youth time and time again in the Old and New Testament. Mary's a teenager, 15-year-old girl. And just like you guys today, you have dreams, you have aspirations, you have hopes, you have plans. Mary's no different. What were her dreams and aspirations? Well, she's in love with Joseph. And here's the deal, folks. The reality is, in first century Judaism, engagement and betrothal, don't miss this, was legally binding. They were already legally married. Is the betrothal ring up there? Check that baby out. Now that's, that's kind of a little later, 17th or 19th century. But would you agree, ladies, that's a pretty significant ring? Will, would you imagine picking out one of those babies for your girl? <laughs> Not interested? I mean, whoa, you, you know, that's a heavy beast. But here's the, the reason I throw it up there. They're legally married. The only thing that has not yet happened is consummation. They haven't come together in intimacy and sexual relations. Now, how do we know for certain that it was legally binding? Well, let me show you another passage. Let me show you what Joseph is thinking. Matthew 119. So her husband Joseph, notice, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to do what? Divorce her secretly. So basically, Joseph's in a dilemma. Mary's in a dilemma. Why? God's messing up everybody's plan. Because of his righteous standing in the community, the ancient term is Sadiq. His identity was living blameless like Paul did before the Lord. And then all of a sudden, my girl's pregnant, and everybody's looking at me as what? The culprit, the problem. And so the plans get flipped upside down. I had plans for a wedding. They're mapping things out. They're looking forward to a beautiful future. And my girl is pregnant, and I got to dismiss her quietly out of love. And so, folks, that's a big deal. And so let me ask you a question. Has God ever messed up your plans? I wish I could take a survey. Let me ask you another question. Has God ever messed up your plans? All right, there's a few folks who are alive. So let me tell you one of my messed up plans. Um, came to Christ a little later at age 19, wound up in Bible school at age 23-ish. I was dating a girl very seriously. We were bound for the mission field. So I go to Bible school the first year, and she follows the second year. 
We're thinking we'll graduate from Bible school. We're heading to the mission field overseas. I'm all excited. Thought that was the girl forever. And guess what? She shows up on campus, realizes there's some other godly, good-looking Christian guys. And within a few months, guess what happened to Keith Missile? She dumped me. It will happen. Trust me. Part of life, right? But here's the cool thing. That was gut-wrenching at the time. Because there was plans made. But the thoughts of a man are many. The Lord directs his path. Fast forward a number of years. Guess what happened? There's this really cute girl named Ellen. And kind of fixated my attention on her. Started praying. Started hanging out. And a number of years later we married. I'm so thankful today, 30 year, 32 years later being married to Ellen, that God had a better plan. He knew what he was doing. But I'll tell you this, when God messes up your plan, it's gut-wrenching. It was. It was absolutely gut-wrenching. Why? We were in the same classes together. We were walking down the halls together. We were in the same cafeteria together. I'm like, yuck, for three years. So when God messes up your plans, we're going to find this out. There is a response. And the response is surrendering. Lord, your will be done, not mine. And that's what Mary does. She says, yes, it's God honoring. Secondly, I really believe this, that God messed up and called Mary to surrender her status. And so why do I say that? In the first century, there were two dominant virtues. And the dominant virtues were honor and shame. Think about it, honor and shame. So what's happening to Mary, what's happening to Joseph, everything they held on to for their identity, their faith, their righteous journey got flipped upside down. Mary is absolutely shamed in that culture. Nazareth today is a pretty populated city. It's fun to go to, 60,000 people. Back then they estimate 500 when you're in a town of 500 and everybody knows your name and your stuff, what happens when a 15-year-old girl before she's married is pregnant? You become the talk of the town. And there's shame. And you walk through the community with your head down. And it hurts. It was tough for Mary to lean into this calling. And yet she said yes. Even with the shame, even with the hurts, as we're going to see later. And so the key thing here, God calls Mary to be a blessing, but he calls her to surrender. Now I have a question for you. And really it's a, a, a foregone conclusion. The reality of surrender in your life and mine is hard. It just is. We are called to relinquish. We are called to let go and to live uh, God's will be done instead of ours. You know why relinquishing and surrender is hard? Because Americans like their rights. We like our will to be done, not necessarily his. This past week, we commemorated 80 years of Pearl Harbor. And I read an amazing story. I didn't know this story previously about a gentleman. I want to put his uh, name up on the screen. If we could go to the uh, Japanese fella, Hiroo Onoda. His story is quite remarkable. 
1945, the Allied forces claimed victory. The Imperial forces, Japan, surrendered. But what's amazing about this gentleman is instead of surrendering and waving the white flag, he goes and retreats into the jungle with some other soldiers. They were all killed off except him. What's remarkable, for the next 29 years, he lived as a Japanese soldier and would not surrender. Finally, the Japanese government sent a commanding officer, and they found him and commanded him to surrender. This literally is the photo of him coming out of the jungle after 29 years of non-surrender. Why do I share that story? Because I believe surrendering is hard. I really do. Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, if anyone will follow me, he must deny himself. What does denying himself mean? Not my rights, Lord, but yours. Mary denied herself. She relinquished her rights. But not only do we deny ourselves, what do we do? We take up our cross. We suffer. Mary suffered shame. She suffered hurts in her community. She was looked down upon. And then, not only do we deny, take up our cross, but we follow Christ. In other words, Lord, your will be done, not mine. And as hard as it is, the beautiful thing is our commanding officer comes to us and says, surrender, relinquishing your rights is what is best. And so thank God that Mary said yes. She leaned in and we have the privilege to follow suit. Now Luke, we've studied Luke for quite some time and one of the things that Luke really champions is where do you find your identity? Where do you get your status? In the ancient world, first century, Mary was from a peasant, peasant family. Why? She offered a couple uh, pigeons as sacrifice, so she was poor. She's female. She's pregnant. All her identity literally could have been ripped from her. But what does God do? God takes this teenage girl and gives her a status, an identity that is so far-reaching that today, 2,000 years later, we stand in awe of Mary saying yes to God as she became a conduit of God's blessing and a testimony of what it means to surrender to his will. And so finally, why, what, and then here's the key, How? How's Mary going to accomplish such a great feat? So let's take a look. And ironically, this question comes from Mary herself. Look at verse 34. Mary asked the angel Gabriel, how can this be since I have not been intimate with a man? And so Mary's not doubting there. She's not a person who doesn't have faith. Mary's just asking a normal biological question. Talking to the angel, this is crazy. Joseph and I haven't been intimate. How am I going to get pregnant? Well, let's look at the response. The response is God's calling her to a lifestyle of trust. And so, <clears throat> one of the things that we learn from the life of Mary is this. <clears throat> trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and what will happen. He will make your path straight. And so when Mary asks that question, she's not doubting. Her faith isn't, uh, you know, deterred. She's just asking a legitimate question, but she's called to lean in. She's called to trust. Let me show you a passage from Isaiah that reminds us that God's on the throne and we are not. In Isaiah 55, the Lord says to the prophet and to us, my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so one of the things that I think Mary really encourages us us all to do is to remember that God is on the throne and we are not. And that was what happened to the prophet Isaiah in chapter six. He saw the Lord seated on the throne and he stood in awe of the Lord. And friends, the encouragement for you and I as we look through the life of Mary is to live in the mystery. And I want to go back to this beautiful phrase that Mary pondered these things in her heart. That's the constant refrain of Mary throughout the gospel accounts. What did she ponder? Well, when she takes baby Jesus to the temple and Simeon says, Mary, a soul is going to pierce your soul. Simeon's forecasting Calvary. She had no idea of Calvary. But she began pondering these things, reflecting on these things. Think about what happens when Jesus is 12 years old. Mary takes Jesus to the temple. And all of a sudden, they're heading home to Nazareth. Who's not in the family party? Jesus. And they're a day's journey away. He's still in Jerusalem. They turn back. They find Jesus. And what is he doing? He's teaching the rabbis of the temple at age 12. He says to his parents, didn't you know I must be about my father's business? You know what it says? Both Mary and Joseph said this. They had no understanding of what that meant. They were perplexed at age 12. They were searching their hearts. They were trying to find answers. They were taking a thousand piece puzzle and putting together one piece at a time. Folks, there's mystery in life. And what's beautiful about mystery is we get to stand in awe of God. Mary never had it figured out. In John chapter two, one of the most prominent miracles, the turning the water in the wine. And, uh, you know, Jesus, it looks like in, in the modern language that he kind of confronts his mom. He says, mom, don't you know my time hasn't come? I, I can't be doing these miracles that you want me to do. And then all of a sudden Mary finds a, her, her place. She's listening to her son. Instead of the, the honor, sons honor your mother, the mother now is honoring her son. And she says to the servant, listen to what he says do exactly what he says. One other scenario, and it's Calvary. You talk about pondering in your heart. Jesus Christ is being crucified. He's hanging on the cross, and he looks down and he sees his mom and John. And he says, Mom, behold your son. John, behold your mom. She kept pondering what does all this stuff mean? And it's mystery. And there's a beautiful part of the mystery, folks. 
We don't always have to put a period on every theological idea or reality. Let's live in the mystery. Let's ponder the truth of God's word. Let's trust his spirit that we can surrender and trust him. That's what Mary did. Two things in closing. One, the angel sensed Mary's heart and her struggle and I really believe nurtured her dilemma. And so the angel comes and says, Mary, trust God, yes, but trust his power. Where do I get that from? Look at Luke 135. The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High God will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. The angel saying, Mary, something miraculous, something powerful, something supernatural is happening. Lean into it. Trust God. Trust his power. And secondly, trust his plan. Look at verses 36 and 37. And I love this. Giving her confidence to lean in. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless, for nothing will be impossible with who? With God. And so Mary needed help to lean in. That's all I'm trying to suggest. And Gabriel says, trust God's power. The Holy Spirit's going to impregnate you. And if you need a literal testimony, if you need to see God's miracle being enacted, go hang out with your relative Elizabeth. In her senior years, what happened? She got pregnant she's going to give birth to John the Baptist. Yes, we can trust, but God gives us stuff to trust in. His mighty hand. He's working. His power, his plan. And so, in closing, and Pastor Jason, you can come up, please. Luke 138. How does Mary respond? And this is one of the most remarkable statements in this whole gospel account. I am the Lord's slave or servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. That was a huge encounter for this 15-year-old girl to experience. Experience God's blessing. She said yes. Experience surrender, your, your plans and, and, and life's purposes. She said yes. And so Mary leans in. How about you and me? The word yes is a really great word in the English language. In the ancient language, it's amen. Let it be so. And so when God calls, when he chooses for us to be a blessing, to surrender our plans and purposes, when he calls us to trust him when things don't make sense, how will we respond? I hope we respond with yes. Yes.